Welcome to We Are, You Are, the podcast for robot developers, engineers, and anybody who is interested in robotics. Hosted by the Unlimited Robotics Team. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us today with a very interesting and special guest, Dr. Luis Pineda. Hello, Luis. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much for the invitation, Dave. Uh, thank you for participating in our podcast. Uh, our guest is a very special person, and let me give you a quick overview, overview about him. So Dr. Pineda is an electronics engineer from Anahuac University. He has an MSc in computer science from ITE SIM and a PhD from University of Edinburgh at the Center of Cognitive Science. He joined the Institute of Applied Mathematics and System at UNAM at 98, where he's the head of the computer science. And he's also founded and coordinated several research groups, including the Golan Group for the development of service robots in 2002. He has published more than 120 papers. He's a member of the Mexican Academy of Science and was the founding president of the Mexican Academy of Computing. And he's also a marathon runner. Thank you so much, Dr. Pineda, for joining us today. We have a lot of questions to ask you. And let's start with the first one. I want to discuss today about service robots. So I would like to understand from your point of view, what would service robot should really do? And what would be a clear definition of service robot? Yes, well, it is a very wide term and in a loose definition, I think everything can be said to be a service robot. I mean, because somehow they provide a service for the people. And I think the, well, the most familiar kind of robots we are, uh, are the industrial robots and manufacturing plants for making roads and all that. So in a sense, they provide a service and are service robots. And, and also there are uses like uh, appliances of different kinds that have kind of some uh, interaction based on a modern state-of-the-art technology and they're, they're also called service robots. Are there even robots that are just software machines? I mean, that, so in a sense, that is a very broad definition of service robot. And I think uh, uh, the, when, when I talked about the service robot, I have something much more specific on mine because uh, what I think uh, a service robot uh, has this, um, um, ability to be placed in the world, to be situated, and to interact with the people in a flexible way, uh, in a meaningful way. Uh, and then that sort of narrowly scopes quite a lot because uh, uh, we are talking about something that somehow has some intelligence that is uh, behind the robot and is this uh, intelligence, this machine is causal and essential of the behavior of the robot. So on all this, I mean, how can we uh, state a, a definition? And I think uh, for something to be a service robot, uh, the environment in which the robot is supposed to, to perform has to have some, some kind of some level of uncertainty. So when things are too determined, there are industrial robots. 
So in a manufacturing plant, I mean, everything is determined. The plant is determined, the workers in the plants have a determined uh, behavior. Uh, that is no decision-making in the process. Everything is defined in advance. And uh, a lot of service robots uh, that are autonomous in some particular environments, they are also predetermined. I mean, in, they can move, for instance, they can go around in factories or handling things and all that, but the behavior is still too predetermined. I mean, there is some little uncertainty because the navigation and all that, but mostly, I mean, they're essentially determined. Uh, autonomous cars, for instance. Autonomous cars, uh, I mean, one could say in the first place that they move in an open environment, but the fact of the matter is that they just navigate and the navigation machine is also predetermined. So they don't really make decisions. They just act on the particulars of the, part of the environment and then uh, adjust the trajectory and all that. So there is uncertainty, but the uncertainty is uh, moderate. And then uh, you can show other kind of industrial machines like the ones who make coffee shops and all that that are like the vending machines, serving coffee, and they're also called sometimes service robots. But the fact is that there is a, a vending machine with a robotic arm in which everything is fully determined. And well, if you include that, then the distinction kind of some loses some of the, the, the attraction. It's less attractive. So, but then you go to robots. Uh, so that are supposed to interact in a human environment, uh, there is the need of language, natural language, spoken language, and the there is some some sort of sense in which the robot must engage uh, with the people. Then we are starting, I mean, to talk about service robots because first of all, I mean, the two dimensions that I would say are the most important to really uh, to to talk about service robots in a more kind of meaningful sense is that there is a lot of uncertainty or a, a level of uncertainty in the environment that is higher than the industrial environment on other kind of interactive machines on the one hand. And also the other dimension that is pretty much related is that there is communication in the sense that is language use. And not everything, not, I, I just want to clarify that I don't think every form of interaction is communication. I mean, you send signals to a machine like a drone, for instance, and the drone moves around those signals, but the signal is there and the, uh, the effect uh, on the machine is fully determined. So when you have communication, I mean, uh, there is uncertainty. I mean, there is a level of entropy in the environment. And, and then a, a full determination is a zero entropy situation. You don't, I don't think you have a service robot. And then when the communication starts, the entropy of the environment and also the entropy of the machine has some certain level, and then uh, you are start talking about service robot. And the other component is that in order to have a genuine uh, um, decision-making, so a service robot first communicates and it must make decisions. And Decisions are also, also require that there is some undetermined in the environment because if the decisions of the machine are fully predetermined and they are not really making any decision at all, just sort of pre-programmed to act in certain ways. And, and then communication and decision-making in a sort of uh, uh, 
under determine on under specified environment, I think is what we would require for something to be called a circuit road. Now, I probably I don't know if you want me to elaborate more on this, but uh, but I think this narrows a lot uh, the 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 subject. I mean because. Uh, uh, and there is a different world because I mean industrial robots. I mean are here to stay for. I mean have been here for stay for a long time. I mean it's a tremendous industry in every respect. I don't even know if there is anyone who's capable of having a, a general look of all the kind of service of, of robots that are there for industrial purposes in different environments. I think it's a huge industry that is going to develop because the growing and maturation of the technology a lot. But service robots that have, are intelligent and can communicate, I think there is a different dimension. We are still pretty much in the research and development stage. And we still need proof of concept that these devices can actually be built and are useful in the real world environments. So thank, wow, thank you so much for the detailed answer. I have a couple of follow-up questions. The first yes. one, would you consider service robots eventually replacing people at factories or in other places in which service is provided? For example, hotel, hospital, nursing home, school. Uh, people that are working as service providers may hear our discussion and can be a little bit uh, scared or, or intimidate by the future of replaced by machines. So what would you say to those people that are maybe considering what will be with my future if I provide service and a service robot will replace me? Yeah, I think uh, it's also a question that has to do with uh, how determined is your working environment. So uh, the way I like to say this is, what is the entropy of your working environment? So if you, the entropy is zero, I mean, everything is fully determined, you can be certain that robots were gonna be there in their place, in your place sometime in the future, okay? Or maybe they are already there, okay? But in the, uh, uh, in, uh, of course, human environments are never fully determined. I mean, we interact in environments that are uh, pretty flexible and um, there is nobility all the time. And uh, in order to make working environments, especially when this uh, more systematic and automatized society, we create environments in which we lower the entropy. We lower the, um, the degree of flexibility or indeterminacy of the environment as depending how you like to call it. And uh, so it's more manageable. So uh, we can have machines of different sorts uh, supporting the human activity or providing services that are there, okay? And, uh, and there is a question for you. I mean, the, I think this question of uh, the, the, the automation of the human life and working environments and also in other environments like learning and uh, uh, anyway, uh, uh, the, the question is this, I mean, is how determined is your environment and how undetermined is because in, in that degree, you need creativity, 
you need flexibility, you need to have a sense of a vision of the world, uh, you need to have, um, you have to be willing to modify your behavior according to communication so other people's uh, interests, uh, intentions, feelings matter for you. So when all that happens, I mean, the indeterminacy of the environment is grows a lot. So my, 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 my message is don't worry. I mean, if, if, if there is a machine that is gonna be there, it's because the, the environment wasn't for humans in the first place. I mean, humans were used as robots because there was no way to do it otherwise. And, and, and sometimes, I mean, and currently, even now in many parts of the world, I mean, that's a necessity that people had to do work that is very, very, has very little humanity, but someone has to do it, okay? So of course the challenge is, is, is great for society uh, because we had to move into uh, uh, daily day activities, not only working, but education and entertaining and all that, in which you had to exercise your creativity, you have to exercise your humanity. So it's going to be great. I mean, when all the chores that are fully automatic or have some degree of automation are done by robots, uh, but uh, of course it's going to be a, a difficult challenge to meet. But then my view is that if we are able to make it, then we will have a much more humane world, paradoxically. So, wow, very interesting. And that brings me to a follow-up question. Yes. If we discuss about an hybrid model that until the service robots will be fully automated, replacing some services that people do, and it may happen and may not, as you mentioned, because of uncertainty and determinism of, of the society, what if during this hybrid model, the interaction and the communication between man and machine will be mm -hmm. optimized to a certain level in which the service robots will know how to live with humans and like vice versa. So my question is, in order to optimize the interactions and the communication between the people and the robots, what should we consider while developing a service robot to achieve that goal? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I think there are two, two levels of this question. I mean, and, and um, uh, one is uh, pretty practical and is, uh, is related to uh, the kind of machines that we like to have that are kind of more able to, to engage with people in a meaningful way. Uh, but the other, uh, I, I, I perceive that the question assumes somehow that the robots can also engage as uh, conscious and uh, animate and um, intentional agents. I mean, for the start, I mean, I can uh, directly tell you that I have, I mean, think a lot on that particular issue. And for my view, I mean, and modestly, <laughs> I think machines are machines. Robots are machines. They cannot have feelings. They are not conscious. Uh, they are not intentional agents. So they reflect the intentionality of people. So when we have machines, I mean, we project on them uh, properties that we have as people. 
And then uh, the behavior of the, 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 I mean, granting these properties of the machines, Bacon changed our behavior to the machines and the world, but it's not because the machines have feelings or intentionality. It's because we have made the semantic attribution and then we behave as if they had feelings. So, and, and I think this, I know there's an open discussion. Many people believe otherwise for several reasons, but I think machines are machines. And if you go to the basic model of the Turing machine, I mean, that is a machine that manipulates representations that are interpreted by people. If you take out the people from the questions, there is no one to interpret to interpret the representations that are manipulated by Turing machines. And then machines like uh, cars or uh, refrigerators or uh, trains are not different in any respect to computers. I mean, so the fact the comp computing is a relational phenomena between the machine that manipulate the presentation and people that assign interpretations. So I think this is a confusion that is sort of goes around on my view and it's not helpful because uh, give rise to sort of all sorts of expectations about the machines that just are not there, at least they're not there at the moment because we don't know what are the, or what is the, the, how the, the reason people is conscious and have intentionality and have feelings. And these are very open and difficult questions in philosophy and science, of course. So that's one thing. And on the other, I mean, uh, machines can simulate uh, these attitudes, can simulate emotions and feelings. And the fact that they can simulate it well are very important for people to interact with machines. Because, uh, because uh, 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 well, I think it's pretty clear from anyone who's done robotics that uh, the, 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 if the machine looks more humane, I mean, it's kind of better accepted. Uh, and also there are robotics applications in which it doesn't have to be even a human like the robot because what it provides is the vehicle to, for the user to place feelings and affections as an object like that. So, uh, and that, that part for the same reason uh, uh, changes their own behavior. And that is why we can use this in uh, homes for the elderly or with uh, people who have some um, um, uh, mental conditions that need to be sort of uh, uh, reinforced with some interaction abilities. Uh, but it's a phenomenon very much similar to, to the, the, the reason why toys are useful and like, are liked by children. Because the, the toys are not animated, but children place them in a reality that is made in their own mind. And then that changes your own behavior and make him more comfortable in the performance with the world. That happens very much with robotics. Okay. So, uh, and there is an important factor uh, for the uh, interaction with robots uh, because uh, they are going to be placed in a human in human environments, and uh, uh, in some part, in some kind of application, is going to be important that they are perceived as having feelings and are having emotions and having intentionality because they can contribute better to the 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 purpose of the environment. Okay, so so modeling emotions 
uh, I, a wall that uh, robots can sort of uh, uh, hypothesize and interpret emotions expressed by people and also model emotions so the robots can simulate expression of emotions is going to be very important for human interaction, social robots and all that. And I think there's a lot of research on that. Although it's another story because it's quite complicated in the sense. I mean, one thing is to simulate a surface in the surface and another thing is to simulate the knowledge and emotional process that are going on. There are two different questions altogether. And saying that, of course, we have to, one has to be concerned about the Connie Valley because it is a well-known phenomena that when you create expectations, a high expectations in people or children about something, not only machines, but also anything in your life. I mean, and, and but especially in robots, the moment that these expectations are not satisfied by the device, then uh, the user satisfaction goes down pretty, pretty uh, fast to a very low level. And, and then um, you have to consider that because uh, especially in people who are working in uh, human looking humanoids uh, for different reasons, uh, uh, this devices that are brought into the real life, I mean, they certainly will face the, the, the canny valley phenomena. And I think this is going to happen soon uh, we, when uh, in applications, in, in industrial applications where service robots, the kind of pepper, for instance, or, that are placed in, in shopping stores or in restaurants uh, to attract people, attract customers, and then they are giving the promise that these devices are going to interact with, with humans. And then, but I, from my perspective and my knowledge of the technology and my, my experience with the robots we have been built and our participation in the Robocop competitions over the years, I have a pretty certain feeling that we are still pretty long away, I mean, from getting robots that interact uh, humanly in open environments. So I think that's still a lot to, to go in that direction. And I don't think it is gonna be impossible to do it because uh, every technology, there's a point in which you have to have a proof of concept. I mean, uh, the, the promise must be materialized in actual product. And then uh, then I think this is still uh, uh, an, open, an open question. Wow, Dr. Luis Pineda, very interesting interview. So let me give you uh, one quick question, and this will be the last because we really appreciate your time and we don't want to waste too much of your time. No, no, thank you very much for the interest. If, if I'm a robot developer and I want to enter into the field of robotics and specifically into the field of service robots, mm -hmm. what would you recommend me? I'm a regular person, what would you recommend me to do? Where to start? Where can I get education from? Where can I learn? How can I get uh, testing done? We'll be happy to hear your thoughts about a beginning of the way for a robot developer who wants to focus on service robots. Mm -hmm. Well, well, first of all is, what do you mean by service robots? As I was saying, okay, see, and, 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 uh, I think uh, from the perception that I have 
and our uh, educational systems here in Mexico, and I think it's pretty similar in most parts of the world, is that um, uh, the robotics schools uh, prepare good technical people. So now, I mean, uh, with the technologies available in many processors and um, all sorts of devices, servo mechanisms, uh, and all that, it's sort of simple to build robots. So we have all these competitions, uh, they're in primary school children, secondary school children, high school, university, university and even the professional things like Robocop. I mean, there is a wide, a wide variety of devices in order to build robots that are quite accessible to people. And I think schools in general, and here in Mexico, I'm pretty certain, are doing a good job in, in, in preparing technical people. So you can get robotic devices, okay? But as I said, to have a robotic device is not to have a service robot, okay? Exactly. And, and what do I need to understand before? And then you have to come to the other end. I mean, so because you have, you, you want service robot and then there is that, that you need to have some sort of artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is also a very wide field and there is a lot of device uh, specialties and all that. And uh, well, first of all, we can go to the, the fashion of the times, which is deep networks. I mean, the, uh, deep learning and all that. And of course, these devices can do a lot for you in complex environments. And I think, well, one of the best examples of that is autonomous cars, I mean, that that uh, provide services that are quite attractive to people and presume to, to have proof of concept on this. I have some reservations because one thing is to have the prototype and another thing is to use it in the normal life situation, which is still something that has to be proved in actual practice. Um, and, 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 but the, the thing that you get is that, uh, I mean, uh, neural networks, I mean, are predetermined machines in a sense. I mean, they are schematic machines. So they are schemes of behavior. So, and, and, and then they are quite they are not reactive. They are schematic behaviors. Um, but nevertheless, are schemes of behavior. And, and, and then when you have schemes, you can interact with the world in a very efficient way. But in order to really uh, increase the the space of possibilities I and mean, increase the entropy of the environment and on the machine, you have to have decision-making and, and you have to have thought because I mean, the difference between working schematically in the world as many animals do, for instance, I pretty, well, I have the feeling uh, that uh, running, walking, hunting and all that are schematic behaviors that can be achieved in a very, very intelligent way by a lot, a great variety of animal species and by people, but the, what this schematic behavior doesn't give you is the capacity of anticipating the world. And then with language, with the ability to, 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 to think and to communicate, and the, the great thing of that is we can, uh, on the one hand, uh, enrich from the experience of others through communication so there's a tremendous amplification uh, uh, vehicle that uh, the nature has developed in order that uh, an individual in the species is not alone and can use the 
experience and knowledge of the others on the one hand, and the other that is communication, that is language, that is very closely related to thought because thinking, what him thinking gives us is the ability to anticipate the world. So before the things happens, we can make a decision. And that is beyond a schematic behavior in a very much sense. And I think my personal view is that in the, the, the wave of technology that we have at the moment using these uh, very powerful machine learning techniques, I mean, they don't think. And their communications is still pretty much very schematic. So, and then, then you can do that. I mean, you, you can be a specialist on that and then build these machines like the paradigmatic set perhaps is autonomous cars. But then if you want to go into communication and thinking then you to have to go to AI in a more deeper sense. And you have to talk about knowledge representation, uh, memory, how people, uh, I mean, that's a really good question. Can computers and people can store concepts. How can they make decisions? And, and then there's the, the whole story of traditional symbolic AI that has had like great insights about that has, of course, has the limitations uh, that are other kinds of limitations. I mean, that the thing is that abstract machines need to be placed on the world. That was the, the basic limitation of traditional AI that was symbolic and symbolic is somehow internal on that. Well, it's a long discussion, but these machines have to be placed in the world. And then the great thing of neural networks and all other kind of orientations that they play the agent of the world, but to the cost that they, they sort of threw away thinking and communication. So, and you need both. So, uh, uh, so it depends on your perspective. Um, uh, uh, the more philosophical you go, you go more into AI, symbolic AI, knowledge representation in different fashions. And uh, I mean, you have to face the question of this knowledge is placed in memory and what you mean by memory and as a natural uh, being, but biological beings that have memory, have associative memories that are not symbolic, by the way. So, uh, so the full knowledge uh, that makes you a person in your long-term memory need to be stored somewhere and used very efficiently. What do you mean by that? And how this knowledge impacts on the actual inference machine and in, in the engine of thinking, making diagnosis, making decisions, making plans and all that, well, you have to put all together. But also, of course, you need to relate that to the world and then schematic machines that place your agent in the world effectively are also needed. So uh, it's big. I think we are just at the beginning there are a lot of open questions. I'm pretty certain that technology and the industry is gonna be, I mean, rich and wide, especially in the robotics traditional applications that I can imagine, I mean, that in the rest of the century, we are going to have more and more machines. But the question of service robots that actually provide a service that communicate and think still is a pretty open question for me. And with this answer, we would like to Thank you, Dr. Luis Pineda, for joining us today for this session. It was extremely interesting and fascinating to hear your and to hear your thoughts and feedback. And we would love to host you again for another session on another subject. You're a fascinating 
guest, and thank you so much for participating. Thank you for your invitation. It's been great for me to be able to talk to you in this time.